Chapter Thirteen of Bob's A Girl Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bob's A Girl Detective by Grace May North. Chapter Thirteen. Nell Wiggins' Story. Such a merry dinner party as it was in one corner of the big southeast corner room of the old Pensinger mansion. The young hostess, by neither word nor manner, betrayed the fact that they were used to better things. When at last the dishes had been washed and put away, a fire was started on the wide hearth in the long salon, and the girls gathered about it. "'Suppose we each tell the story of our lives,' Gloria suggested, and in that way we may the sooner become really acquainted. "'For ourselves a few words will suffice. We three girls lived very happily in our Long Island home until our dear mother died.' then last year our beloved father was taken and since then i because i am oldest have tried to be both parents to my younger sisters and truly you have succeeded bobs put in gloria smiled lovingly at her hoydenish sister who sat on a low stool close to the fire her arms folded about her knees but we soon found that in reality the roof that had sheltered us from childhood was not really our own the title it seems had not been clear in the very beginning when our grandfather had purchased it and so because of this we had to move i wanted to do settlement work and that is what i am doing now lena may also loves the work and is soon to have classes for the very little boys and girls bobs as we call this tomboy sister of ours as yet i believe has not definitely decided upon a profession Roberta's eyes were laughing as she glanced across at Nell Wiggin, but since Miss Selensky did not know the story of her recent adventure, nothing was said. Turning to the slender, dark-eyed agent of the model tenements, Gloria remarked, "'Will you now tell us a little about yourself, Miss Selensky?' All through the dinner hour the girls had noticed a happy light that seemed to linger far back in the nearly black orbs of the Hungarian girl but they thought it was her optimistic nature that gladdened her eyes but now in answer to gloria's question the dark pretty face became radiant as the girl replied the past holds little worth the telling but the future i believe will hold much oh miss selensky bobs exclaimed leaning forward eagerly and smiling at their hungarian friend something wonderful is about to happen in your life i am sure of that shining-eyed the dark girl nodded do you want to guess what it was lena may who answered i think you are going to be married she said i am was the joyfully given reply to a young man from my own country who has a business in the bronx nor is that all he owns a little home way out by the park and there is a real yard about it with flowers and trees oh can you understand what it will mean to me to be awakened in the morning by birds instead of by the thundering noise of overhead trains "'Miss Selensky,' Gloria said, "'we are glad indeed that such a happy future awaits you.' Then, turning to little Nell Wiggin, who sat back somewhat in the shadow, though now and then the flickering firelight changed her corn-yellow hair to a halo of golden sheen, she asked kindly, "'Is there some bit of your past that you wish to tell us?' There was something so infinitely sorrowful in the pinched pale face of little Nell Wiggin that instinctively the girls knew that the story they would hear would be sad, nor were they mistaken." Nell Wiggin began, "'It is not interesting, my past, and I fear that it is too sad for a story. But briefly I will tell it. My twin brother, Dean, and I were born on a farm in New England, which seemed able to produce little on its rocky soil, and though our father managed to keep us alive, he could not pay off the mortgage, and each year he grew more troubled in spirit. 
At last he had heard of rich lands in the west that might be homesteaded, and so, leaving us one spring, he set out on foot, for he planned taking up a claim. And when he had constructed there a shelter of some kind, Mother was to sell the New England farm, pay off the mortgage, and with whatever remained, buy tickets that would take us west to my father. It was May when he left us. He did not expect to reach his destination for many weeks, as he knew that he would have to stop along the way to work for his food. Dear little mother tried to run the farm that summer. Dean and I were ten years of age, and though we could do weeding and seeding, we could not help with the heavier work. And since our mother was frail, much of this had to be left undone. Fate was against us, it would seem, for the rain was scarce and our crops poor, and the bitterly cold winter found us but with little provisions in store. All this time we had not heard from father, and after the snows came we knew that the post office in the town twenty miles away could not be reached by us until the following spring, and so we could neither receive nor send a letter. Our nearest neighbour was eight miles away, and he was a poor scrabbler in the rocky soil, a kind-hearted hermit whom brother and I had first been afraid, because of his long bushy beard, perhaps. But when we once chanced to be near enough to see his kind grey eyes, we loved him, and knew that he was a friend, and the future was surely to prove this. But, if possible, that dear old man, Mr. Eastland, was poorer than we were. Our mother, we knew, was worried nearly to the point of heartbreak, but I shall never forget how wonderful she was that winter. Whenever we looked, she smiled at us, tremendously sometimes, and when our task of shelling and pounding corn was over, she helped us invent little games and told us beautiful stories that she made up. But for all her outward cheer, I now realise when we children were asleep on the mattress that had been brought from the cold bedroom and placed on the floor near the stove, that our mother spent many a long hours on her knees in prayer. Our cow had been sold before the snow came, as money had been needed to pay on the mortgage, and so we had no milk. Our few hens were kept in a lean-to shed during the day, but mother permitted them to roost behind the stove on those bitterly cold nights, and so occasionally we had eggs. A rare feast it was, but at last our supply of corn was nearly exhausted. There was usually a thaw in January, but instead this exceptionally cold winter brought a blizzard which continued day after day, burying our house deep in the snow. At last our mother had to tell us that unless a thaw came, that we might procure some provisions from our neighbours, we would have to kill our three hens for food. What we would do after that, she did not say. But luckily, for the feathered members of our family, the thaw did come, and with it came Mr. Eastland, riding the eight miles on his stout little mule, and fastened to the saddle, back of him, was a bag of corn and potatoes. Dear kind man, he must have brought us half of his own remaining store. Eagerly our mother asked if there had been news from town, but he shook his head. No one's been through with the mail, Miss Wiggins, he said, and then added, I suppose you are likely powerfully concerned about that man of yourn. I suppose you haven't heard from him yet, Miss Wiggin. Mother tried to answer, but her lips quivered, and she had to turn away. Well, so long, folks, the old man called. I'll be over again for spring, the snow permitting. We children climbed on the gate and stood as high as we could to watch our good friend ride away. What we did not know until later was that as soon as he was out of our sight, he turned and rode the twenty miles to the village post office. A week later, Mother was indeed surprised to see Mr. Eastland returning, and this time he brought a letter. It was with eager joy that Mother leaped forward to take it, but it was with a cry of grief that she covered her face with her hands and hurried into the house. The letter had fallen, and I picked it up and glanced at it. 
father never got there it said but when he knew he was going to die he asked someone to write he had worked days and walked nights and died of exposure and exhaustion spring came and with the first balmy days our mother was taken from us we children were eleven years old then and we knew not what to do we must go to mr eastland dean said he would want us to we went and that good old man took us in and made a home for us until she paused and looked around but as her listeners did not speak she added perhaps it is all too sad perhaps you will not care to hear the rest please do tell us dear nell gloria said and so the frail girl continued her story End of chapter thirteen